Uh, Roger, I'm off this time. Uh, what's your location? Roger, come back out over here to contact with uh, the Brockton in this area. Uh, take a little time. He got a radio call for choppers. Pilot said he couldn't get in there today, like Bob said, told him, forget it. We've been throwing rocks on the side of the hill, out of grenades. Won't anybody be left at daylight? Pilots reconsidered. 3 a.m. the first bird landed. They put my two dead, five wounded in that chopper, and lifted the next one landed. The rest of my men grabbed hold. Is that bird lifted? About 150 MV regular just covered the hill. Five more minutes, nobody got off that hill alive. Retired United States Marine Corps First Lieutenant Patrick Cleburne McClary III, known as Clee McClary, was serving as a platoon leader in the 1st Recognix Battalion. On the battalion's 19th patrol, the unit was attacked by the Viet Cong. Lieutenant McClary was seriously wounded, losing his left arm and his left eye. Yet, he continued to lead his men. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, we're going to hear the story of a man who has received the Silver Star, the Bronze Star, three Purple Hearts, the George Washington Medal of Freedom Award, and the American Legion Award. These are naming only a few awards that First Lieutenant Patrick Klebe McClary has received. Today, we welcome him to the show here on Mid-South Viewpoint. Klebe, welcome to Bot Radio Network. Thank you very much. It's really good to talk with you, Byron. Thank you so much. You're, I think, in South Carolina right now, and you're sitting in a car lot somewhere. I think you and your wife just had lunch together. <laughs> yeah, we're actually uh, staying in our daughter's place last night at Lake Lure there at Chimley Rock. That's where they filmed uh, the last of my hoops. He in there. The Dirty Dancing movie, I think, and all like that. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, didn't, I didn't see that one. But anyhow, leaves are pretty, and we're on our way to do some schools and a couple things in Pineville, Kentucky, and then we'll drive there to your area in Memphis. So we're looking forward to it. That's right. You're coming Sunday, this Sunday, November 6, 1045 a.m. You'll be speaking at the Collierville First Baptist Church, where Pastor Chuck Herring is the senior pastor. Church is located at 830 New Bahia Road in Collierville. I believe, Cleve, you told me the other day when we were on the phone that you had previously visited Memphis, where you spoke at Bellevue Baptist Church when they were located downtown Memphis, and Dr. R.G. <laughs> Lee was the pastor. Well, he, he'd been there, Pastor. Adrian had already come there, but he took me over to meet Dr. Lee and go and visited him in his home and all. That was a real real honor. So I've been doing it a long time. <laughs> yes, sir. You have been, haven't you? Well, can you take us to that morning of the 19th patrol where your battalion was attacked? Was there anything that seemed different about that particular patrol compared to previous patrols? Yeah, it really was. Um, we really weren't reconning. We are more of a permanent OP. It had been a permanent OP and we pulled Marines off of it so nobody had been there for a month or so. And that's always uh, not a good sign when you go in a place like that. We were more uh, in a valley, a hill, uh, 146, but it's in the middle of a valley with mountains all around, which is not a good thing. But it was one of the biggest operations. I think Rock was the name. Batans were going to sweep the whole valley. And we do couple crazy things and all. They would drop leaflets, intelligent people, and tell the folks where we're coming, what we're going to do, where to go for food and shelter. And if they pick up one of these leaflets and turn it in, they have enough almost to retire for the year almost. The enemy would do one of two things. They either get to hang out of there or they build up so strong we wish they hadn't gone. And that's pretty well. NBA were there, not just Viet Cong. And had a lot of NBA in that area. And they were training right across the mountain. 
They bombed the airstrip, blew up choppers, and the airstrip at Enwa. They hit the Nain. They hit the um, ammo depot and blew that up. But two days before that, we'd been on this hill, and uh, they just beat sticks together and chanted, so sort of like the Wild West years ago. And uh, then that night, the 3rd of March, they were totally silent, nothing. And I had swapped patrols with a good friend of mine. He'd come off of Charlie Ridge, and he kept a prisoner bare-handed and Lieutenant Barter. And I let him go another patrol, and I took his patrol. So I was out there in the place I, that I swapped to get there. But I had eight brand-new men who had never been in a fight before. And uh, the two men that saved my life and gave their lives to save mine, I had taken them off patrol. They put themselves back on. I didn't even know it till we got in a chopper to go out there. But anyhow, um, they hit us about midnight, and it, it was a long night. I had two dead, 11 wounded out of 13. Well, how many men are typically assigned to a battalion? Well, talk about my group. Yeah, I know you were the platoon leader, but isn't a battalion? It's I, a, just, I, I just had a platoon. We're recon, and usually at a recon, I take four to six men. But this was a permanent OP, or we were um, spotters, or I can't think, handling the artillery to air and the whole mission of these battalions that was sweeping through. But the whole thing got canceled because, um, like I say, they told we were coming, the weather was bad, and they they blew up the airstrip and the ammo dump and everything, and the operation got canceled. And if the weather had been good, they would have got us out of there. But they couldn't get to us, and we were left there by ourselves. And enemy always likes to get a small Marine group isolated by themselves, and they try to wipe it out, and then by the time it gets back around the world and annoy and everything else, they they say they wiped out the whole corps, but it wasn't quite that way. But they hit us pretty hard, no question about it. Did you feel, Cleve, that you and your men had the proper training for this type of warfare that was inflicted by the Viet Cong in countering a battle like this? Yeah, we we did. Um, the thing about it, I had eight brand new men that had never been on a patrol before. And I would have taken them if, I, if I'd have been doing a regular recon patrol, but doing a, a permanent OP and a, just a spotter for the whole battalions coming through, we should have had all these <laughs> probably thousands of Marines with us to do most of the fighting. We would just be telling them where the enemy was and what they were doing and what kind of weapons they had and that kind of thing. Right. But all mm-hmm. that got canceled, so we just got left out there by ourselves. And my men did a great job. I would have hated to have my first battle to be one like this. And like as I said, I had eight men never been in a battle before. I can't even imagine. It was was tough, but they did a great job. They really did. So just five minutes prior to receiving serious wounds, your left eye and your your left arm, uh, what was your position? Well, um, I cleared a punchy pit, which I hadn't been in a foxhole the whole year. I'd been over there. But I cleared a plungy pit. He had a sort of a lean-to on top of it. They had a where you would trip it and fall in on these plungy stakes and everything. And I cleared that and got to the bottom of it. And it was about six foot tall. And I'd taken a McKay bar and chiseled a little place where, about halfway up where I could sit in it a little bit and, and see the fire out. So I had a great foxhole, really, to fight out of. And I'd never done that before. But these guys came up on us, NBA regulars, and... They um, pretty well spotted us out, knew where I was, and, and uh, I think they came after me. They figured if they got the leader, they'd have the whole group. And I, I cleared that and had two men on my left and three men on my right and a bomb crater back behind me about 
40 yards, big old 2,000-pound bomb had gone off and big crater there, and I put eight men around the edges of that, and they had a pretty good protection there. About midnight or thereafter, these, this suicide squad hit us, and these ones that they just, you, you and you go die for Ho Chi Minh tonight, they got grenades tied around the waist, grenades in the hand, the pins pulled, running up a hill, exploding, killing themselves, trying to kill us, suicide guys. And I shot one right in front of me. He came on in the plungy pit, fell in the bottom, exploded, blew blew me out. And I was going through there, I reached back with my shotgun and realized the blast had taken my left arm off. And looked to my left, my radio man, McCormick, were dead or unconscious at the time, I wasn't sure which. Herbert Schreiner on the right crowd, what happened to Ganae came that foxhole. And a young Marine PSC, Ralph Johnson, Burke High School, Charleston, South Carolina, the only South Carolina I had. I had him 98 days. Ralph jumped on a grenade, smothered with his stomach, blew himself in half. It saved my life and the life of two Marines with him. His family later received the nation's highest award, the Congressional Medal of Honor. And about 50 years ago, we named the VA hospital in Charleston after him, and 15 years ago, named a street in Charleston after him. And four years ago, the Commandant came, and about 6,500 other people, and we named a $4 billion destroyer that's off of China right now, Ralph H. Johnson. And I appreciate we just been able to keep his name alive. And yes. I tried to get back behind me when eight men fight in. Started going back for those when another grenade hit me in the legs, took the legs out from under me. And I lay there, it seemed like hours. I don't know how long it passed, but believe me, I never wanted to live so bad all my life. If I could just see my men get off that hill alive, if I could see my bride one more time. Heard the movement behind me, I said, it's over now. As I got close, Heard something go, Lieutenant, Lieutenant. Recognized the voice, 18-year-old Marine I had from Alaska. He's Indian, Rod Hunter. Rod knelt by my feet. We just picking an enemy off as he came up a hill. Bob Lucas from Fort Worth, Texas, later a DI at San Diego. He got a radio call for choppers. Pilot said he couldn't get in there to daylight. Bob said, tell him, forget it. We just throwing rocks on the side of the hill, out of grenades. Won't anybody be left at daylight. Pilots reconsidered. 3 a.m. the first bird landed. It put my two dead, five wounded in that chopper, and it lifted the next one landed. The rest of my men grabbed hold. As that bird lifted, about 150 MV regular just covered the hill. Five more minutes, nobody got off that hill alive. Flew us to Marble Mountain, had surgery there, from there to Japan, Air Force Hospital in southern Japan, and Army Hospital at Camp Drake, from there to Bethesda, Maryland. And that's when I uh, went home on leave from there later, after wow. about a year and a half there. Klebe, did you ever play Army as a young boy? And at that time, what did you think about soldiers when you were playing Army games with your friends? Well, you know, I did. I grew up on a plantation, and we had, uh, what do you call it, uh, magnolia trees. You know, we got the little things that looked like a grenade, and we'd break the end off and throw them like grenades. We played that and all. But I, I didn't have anybody since my... Um, I'm named after General Patrick Cleburne, who was killed in the Battle of Franklin in the war between the states. And I had a, what, a great-granddaddy fought with him. and came home and named the whole family, my granddaddy, my daddy, and myself. Both of those came between wars, so they didn't serve. And no, nobody other than the uncle I had went in the Army and, and served. I, I didn't really know too much about, about the service. I, we didn't have any base anywhere near us. But I always wanted to be a Marine. I just thought... Um, when I finished high school, but my, I guess my goals were wrong. <laughs> I was um, all state in high school, but I wasn't all that big and all that strong or mean, and I wanted to go in the Marines and, and get bigger and stronger and go and then go play college football at Clemson. But my daddy 
had a couple scholarships when I finished, so he may be going to college, and I did that and just sort of put the Marines in the back burner, and then I got into coaching, just put it out of my mind. I had a team unscored on, undefeated, and had success as a high school coach and had a chance to be a graduate assistant with Paul Dietzel at South Carolina, and while I was there, we won a ball game, and after the game, some people burned the American flag, and I knew right then I was going to Marines, so I walked off the college campus and went and joined the Marine Corps. As you mentioned, you know, the Vietnam War was a divisive war in the public opinion arena. How did you mentally process that while you had given your life to protect and serve for the right of freedom that all of us as Americans share? Well, I didn't see too much of that. Um, You know, I came back on a stretcher, so I didn't come off a plane and get spit on and and cussed and carried on like they did coming back through California and whatever and all. I had a couple of experiences later speaking. I won't make name the city, but I was trying to get a suitcase and a couple of boxes of books, and I was struggling with them. And a guy came over and said, can I help you? I said, yeah, man, I sure appreciate it. And we walking out to the shuttle to take me to the hotel or whatever where I was staying. And he looked at me and said, what happened to you? He said, car wreck. I said, no, Vietnam. He threw my bags down. So, serves you right. That's about the only little experience I had with it. But a lot of people really had some real tough experiences, no question about it. Let's remind our friends listening to Bot Radio Network here on Mid-South Viewpoint that Sunday, November 6, at 1045 a.m., Cleve McCleary will be the guest speaker at Collierville First Baptist Church, where Pastor Chuck Herring is the senior pastor. The church is located 830 New Byhelia Road in Collierville. Cleve, just how many surgeries followed those wounds from that brutal battlefield in Vietnam? Well, through all the years now, I've had, I think, 49 surgeries and about two and a half years in the hospital. That's where my life changed. I was there in the hospital and uh, had a first leave to go home. Well, we went to my wife's hometown in Florida, South Carolina, and got there. It was a long drive, and she was tired. And I read in the paper the Fellowship of Christian Athletes were having a uh, rally out at the local high school. Well, that didn't impress me too much, but I read one of my heroes was going to be there, Bobby Richardson, former second baseman of the New York Yankees, and got the World Series going on. And He's the only person that would be most valuable in the series, and they lost the series that year, but he, he played in about 13 of them, and I wanted to see him, and it also said Bobby K. Van Dyke, Miss America from Arizona, was going to be there, and I said, man, any Marine likes to see Bobby <laughs> Richardson, and, and any Marine likes to see Miss America, let's go, and we went out that night. My wife didn't really want to, but we went out, and we got out there. Bobby and Von K. shared brief testimonies, and they did a good job, and then a preacher got up, and Brian, he had loud, bright-looking clothes on and long hair and a Yankee accent, and he turned me off completely. If I had been in a wheelchair, I'd have left. I'm glad it wasn't Tom Landry or Roger Staubach or Billy Graham or somebody like that. It was somebody that I didn't like, and God used him to change my life for eternity in my wife. Uh, is Billy Zioli. He was President Ford's personal chaplain. He was from Gospel Films in Muskegon, Michigan. And it showed me, you know, a uh, guy can use somebody with one arm, one eye, or whatever. You, you don't have to like somebody. A southern accent you may not like. But here's a man that really turned me off. But he brought a message, and I could tell you the whole thing almost word for word. But it came down to this. Billy said in his message that night, he said, there are two kind of fools in this world, a fool for Christ and a fool for others. And Brian, he said, looked out at the crowd and said, whose fool are you? Whose fool are you? Let me tell you, that hit me right between the eyes. I knew that night whose fool I've been all my life. See, I wasn't a typical Marine. I never drank, never smoked. I didn't cuss. 
I was an all-American type kid. I'd gone to Sunday school, church, taught Sunday school, taught youth fellowship, was a leader, and so forth. Had it all in my head, but I never invited the Lord Jesus Christ to fill that vacuum in our heart that only He can fill. And at the close of the service, my wife and I came forward, and Sam Anderson from Knoxville, Tennessee, he had a little country church in him in Wayside, South Carolina. Sam counseled with us and went down the Roman road in a very personal way. We confessed our sins and invited the Lord Jesus Christ to come fill that vacuum in our heart that only he can fill. And we found with a real joy, the real life, the real peace, so many are searching for to come through that personal relationship with a living Savior. And I hadn't gotten over it, man. I, we've been sharing that story ever since. Uh, oh. <laughs> I went back to the hospital. Next to me in the room next to me was the greatest Marine, probably fighter ever, five Navy crosses. Chesty Puller's son had lost both legs, and he was real bitter and real down and wanted to die. And we went over and shared with him and just roamed the room and on the wards. And people would ask me to go to a church or go to a school or go to a USO or whatever in the Philadelphia area and to high schools. And one thing just led to another. And we ended up driving a Trailways bus two and a half million miles in 17 years and living in it and going to all 50 states. So God's opened a lot of doors, and we, we give him the glory for it all. Give him the glory. What a great word. It's been said, Cleve, that if you teach a people their rights, you'll have a rebellion. If you teach them their responsibility, you'll have a revival. We seem to have become a nation of rights. Today, everyone right. demands that their rights be recognized and accepted, no matter its impact on the moral fiber or the overall health to our nation. What's wrong with this picture? I've done high schools all over the country, all 50 states. It's hard to get in now, I mean, I used to do five or six a day and things like this. I would tell them, you know, the things that my dad taught me, you know, stand up when a lady comes to the room, open her door for a lady, close the door, pull the chair out, push it back, uh, take your hat off when you come to the building, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. We need to get back to this. And, that, you know, we don't have rights. we we got responsibilities. I don't know. I think young people today are smarter, stronger, faster, better looking than I ever dreamed about being. But they're starving for discipline. And my dad gave me some, and I thank God for it. Marines gave me some. And discipline doesn't hurt anybody, I guarantee you. And I think we have an undisciplined country right now. And people think... You, you owe me a living. No, no, you don't. If you're going to eat, you're going to. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat, man, and that's the way it ought to be. We need to get back. Get plenty of jobs. There's, there's, no, there's no sense in anybody standing on a corner begging for a meal. There's jobs everywhere. Just people don't want to work anymore. We don't teach our children how to work anymore. We think the world owes us a living. That's not true at all. Well, what do you think most Americans don't understand about the cost of remaining a free nation? Well, I tell you right now, um, it scares me. We've got probably 20% of our youth that can actually qualify for the military right now. They can't pass the physical. And they drug problems, alcohol problems, been in prison, whatever the record. I don't know that we can stay free. It's a, it's a frightening time. It really is. I think we've really cheated our young people. I, I think we ought to be like Israel. I just got back from there. And I, I just think everybody ought to serve their country. It could be Peace Corps, medically or militarily, but you have boot camp, and then you got a responsibility for a couple of years to do something for somebody else before you go to college or whatever you do. I think we're cheating our youth not not teaching that. Israel has a girl, sir, but they have a certain. They do most all the instructions. They do most intelligence because they'll walk in and recognize everything in a building where we won't even know what color the building is. Men don't think like that, but it's different jobs that women ought to be doing. 
I think everybody ought to serve. I think we owe it to our country. I really do. Yeah, I had experienced that, too, in Israel when I traveled there in 2018. I, I saw many of the young women and men, you know, of course, men, yeah. I think, serve for about three years, and I think girls serve for two years in the Israeli yeah. army. But to be honest with you, I felt safer there in Israel than I do oftentimes here in my city of Memphis. No doubt about it, yeah. man. I guarantee you. Well, do you think this tide can be reversed of the way America is moving towards? Can there be a serious change from the course that we've seemed to settle in with the high murder rates, the violent crimes, the drug, the alcohol addictions, which you mentioned, disrespect for government and laws, divorce, poverty, racial tension, and an onslaught of moral depravity? Yeah, yeah. I think the military years ago handled that better than anybody. And now we're just trying to go along with what woke is doing to everybody else. We got to get back to some discipline and, and taking a stand for what's right and what's wrong and get back to the old morals that we used to have. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's scary. But, uh, you know, I, going back to that hill on the Vietnam or when I got wounded in, in the hospital and everything, we don't leave our dead and wounded on the, on the battlefield. We bring them off. And if they got my body off, say, if I'd have died and, and got me home and had a funeral, the church were packed out because people respected my mom and dad and my sister was governor of girl state, girl nation, president of state council and all that kind of stuff. People respect them. Everybody in town would have walked by my casket, every little lady, I guarantee you, in that church. And they'd have had a comment like this. If anybody doesn't have Mo Clevia, man, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, all-American type kid, let me tell you, Cleve would have split hell wide open. Had it all in my head, but nothing in my heart. And I think America's full of folks like that today. We mean well. Pastors are like that today. Mama called them, daddy paid for it, and got in and spoken to them. And wonder why the Holy Spirit is not working their lives and we don't have the services in the churches we ought to have today. Uh, you need to get back to a personal relationship with a living Savior. And that's the only hope for this country. And if we don't get back to what God teaches, and man, you talk about everybody I know for abortion has already been born, man. And we've had our chance. We need to give somebody else a chance. What if you abort somebody that's going to be the got the cure of cancer or, or whatever. You don't know. we got to turn this thing around, the, the way this country's going. I tell you, it's tragic. Klebe, if you could talk in one microphone and tell every American one thing to live and die for, what would you say? Well, my man put a plaque down by me in the hospital, and I, it's about, I got hundreds of plaques, but this is the one I respect. And it says, in this world of give and take, there are not enough people willing to give what it takes. We got to be willing to give what it takes to keep this country free and to turn this country around. It's the greatest country on earth and we're about to lose it. And we need to wake up, I guarantee you. Now, you've got some books that are available, Living Proof, the exciting story of Vietnam hero, Lieutenant Clee McCleary, that was written back in 79. And there's Living Proof, Portrait of an American Hero and Living Proof, and also a commitment to love by your wife, Deanna McCleary. Yeah, we carry them with us. We speak. We live at church, that kind of thing. My book, um, a girl from Johnson City, Tennessee, wrote for the Johnson City Chronicle, followed me up down the Appalachian Trail and did the book there for me. And she also did Harold Morris, guy that did uh, Twice Pardon and Beyond the Barrier, had a chance to lead him to the Lord on death row of the Georgia State Pen. But um, Jerry Jenkins wrote my wife's book that wrote the Left Behind series. Did he and really? days with us. As before left behind, we couldn't afford him now. But anyway, <laughs> he did a good job with it. And uh, her, it's her side of putting up with me. And she'd been 19 three days when we got married. And a teenage girl to stay with somebody wounded, I, 
I dated a lot of people, high school, college, coaching. I don't know anybody I've ever dated that would be with me wounded and what I've been through. And we're not easy to live with. And my wife's been there every step of the way. And she's done some things, taking care of my wounds and uh, dressing me and ties my shoes and ties my tie and buttons my buttons. It's uh, fixing meals. It's unbelievable. She's given her a life just to keep me going. And is going with me most of the time. Like I say, we drove a trailways bus two and a half million miles. Wife, children, the dog, cat, grandma, <laughs> lived with us till she was 89. And we traveled the country like that, and we really enjoyed it and got opened a lot of doors. Well, you telling me, Cleve, that you can be cantankerous at times? Uh, my wife will tell you that. I promise you. <laughs> oh, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your service, the way you've laid your life down for our freedom as Americans. Cleve, God bless you, my dear brother. Reminding our Bot Radio Network listeners that Cleve McCleary is coming this Sunday, November 6th, 1045 a.m. We'll be speaking at Carrierville First Baptist Church, where Pastor Chuck Herring is the senior pastor. The church is located at 830 New Byhelia Road in Collierville. Please pray for this time and come and hear and meet Cleve these uh, books that he's talking about will be with him. You'll bring some of these books, right, Cleve? Yeah, we will. Well, I think that's about all the time we have. Thank you so much for visiting with us today and sharing your story, Cleve McCleary. Oh, thank you so much. You get to Pauley's Island, we're about 30 miles south of Myrtle Beach and 60 miles north of Charleston and come stay with us. We send supplies to troops all over the world. We bring three to 400 in for Memorial Day weekend and put them up on the hotels and teach them how to be a better husband, better dad, and try to save these families that are just falling apart. I'd say one Marine, one soldier, airman, Coast Guard, whatever, uh, is doing what 10 did when I was in. You talk about overworked and underpaid. These troops we have today, are, it's unbelievable what they give in fire freedom, and their families are falling apart because of it. They're deployed so many times, and when they're home, they're not home. It's so sophisticated now. They have to study and train so much. The wife has to run the whole family, and they are really catching it. Sergeant majors and all are getting a divorce and all now. It's tragic. It really is. My goodness. God bless you, Cleve. Thanks for sharing that. Our prayers for our men and women who are faithfully serving our country. By the way, you have a website too, don't you? Cleve McClary at gmail.com. And I don't know about a website. That's, that's my website. You call that thing. I don't know what it is. <laughs> hey, man, I went to Clemson and a Marine. How in the world I do all that stuff? <laughs> Cleve McClary, thank you so much for joining Bot Radio today. Hey, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. God bless you. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye.